Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerd App Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except sometimes the author stops by. It is November, and this month's selection is Laura Worrell's highly anticipated novel, Sweet, Soft, Plenty Rhythm. It's about Circus Palmer, a struggling jazz trumpeter in Boston, and the women he admires but usually disappoints. That is all I am going to say for now, since this is a spoiler-free conversation. Laura, welcome to Nerdette. Thank you so much for having me, and I love the way you've described it. (laughs) Women he admires but disappoints. That perfectly sums it up. I love it. (laughs) It's funny because in our meeting discussing this earlier today, my boss was like, are you sure you're not putting that a little too kindly? <laughs> that's true. It depends on your perspective uh, of a guy mm-hmm. like Circus. Either that's a perfect um, way to describe him or terribly generous, but I like <laughs> it's, it. It's giving him a lot of benefit of the doubt, exactly. but I'm glad you like it. Well, and that's actually where I want to start with this conversation because, you know, this book this book is also about tender different women. Mm-hmm. We see chapters from their points of view. They're from really diverse backgrounds. Mm-hmm. They're of all ages. But the through line really is Circus, mm-hmm. who admires and disappoints For sure. Them. I mean, he's a flake. He flakes on his responsibilities. Mm-hmm. He, you know, drinks a lot mm-hmm. at hours of the day when normal Normally people aren't drinking, Uh, you know, he sleeps with women and doesn't answer their calls. I thought it was really fascinating to engage in a story that revolves around such a deeply flawed guy. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious what compelled you about him. You know, it's interesting. This is a wonderful place to start. I, I haven't mm. started discussions about this book from this this particular <laughs> angle, and I really like it. You know, awesome. I think part of it is the challenge of not only as an individual seeing something to love, to admire, to Mm. feel compassion for in a character like this, um, but also because I wanted to write about this type of relationship and I wanted to come from the perspective of the women, it didn't make sense to me to pull back on the way men like him operate, right? Where Mm. their motives Mm. lie, how their behavior Um, expresses itself and the consequences for the women. It it also felt important to me to make sure that we understand why he's a compelling figure. And unfortunately, I think there is something compelling. It's very unfortunate, and I'm speaking from experience, in someone (laughs) who is, is unavailable, who is giving you breadcrumbs, right? Drops of affection or love or attention or whatever it is, and then pulling it back. Right. Well, and yeah, I mean, I know that guy from personal experience, too. I think it can be really challenging when you encounter someone who, when he is that present, is 100% there Mm -hmm. and just all charm and really fun. And then 
you know, and it can be so disorienting then when he's not present or when he's checked out because it's like, wait, but where's that? That other version was so great. Can we just we can't have that all the time? Right. Can we just stay there? And so I think, Mm -hmm. you know, people who are in relationships with others who are like that, that's probably part of it is you you get everything you could possibly want. Right. When the person has decided to give it to you. And so in their absence, you are fantasizing about what comes next or what has already been. Yeah. And so um, you're doing a lot of the work of the relationship in your imagination. <laughs> so when they come back, it can be disorienting um, when they are <clears throat> not as kind or whatever else. But you're mm-hmm. also thinking, well, this isn't really <laughs> this isn't really who he is. And he's the other guy. Right. Until you right. realize, no, actually, he's a little bit of both and maybe a little bit more. <laughs> less uh less worthy of my attention yes and yeah to be really clear he's not like a predator or right anything. oh for sure like he's not sure. you know he he admires women and their beauty but it's not like he's never he's not super manipulative or coercive or right. violent or you know it's sort of that like gray area like maybe kind of skeezy depending on how into mm-hmm. him you are but like this is these are all pretty consensual, at least initially, in terms of, you know, what's happening. Thank you for saying that. And you're absolutely right. In fact, that was incredibly important to me. And mm-hmm. and he's got in the very first chapter, he meets a woman who's significantly younger than him, right. mentions that he has a sort of boundary that he doesn't date women who are under 25. And of course, some people, especially now in our Leonardo DiCaprio moment, oh. right, that might still be kind of repulsive. Um, but I think he really stands by it. Um, yeah, and, well, it's a rule he has. Right. And, yeah. and so I think he is one of those men. I, I used to be married to a Frenchman. And so I met a lot of men oh. who were like this, who were like, but I love women. I don't understand. What. Right, right. And I think yeah. that circus is like that. They're I, like art. Exactly. Yeah. There's something in every woman to find beautiful. There's something to mm-hmm. be charmed by. And I think circus feels like he's honest with all of them. I'm not interested or capable of anything long-term or, you know, deeply romantic or deeply emotional. If you are okay with that, then, then let's do it. But otherwise, you know, I'm, he's telling them, I'm not going to give you more than this. Mm -hmm, Totally. Well, and I think also to be fair, the women in this book, I mean, you know, I said there are a great many of them, they're all very different, but None of them are perfect either. Right. You know, it's not like we have a single martyr who's sort of like dealing with this monster, really. Right. Exactly. And I think that that was also crucial. Yeah, I I liked that element of it because it almost it it does lend a sort of and it's still sad at some points, but it lends a romance to it in a really interesting way, I think. So I think that that part of the reason that that I wanted to write about this is because I think this is one of the most common entanglements we get yeah. ourselves into, yeah. you know, falling for somebody who's not with us. But I do think when we do and when we stick around, maybe there's something we need to examine, right. whether it's something about ourselves, it's some kind of weakness or trauma or something else that's helping us or that's um, causing us to hang on to the relationship. Mm-hmm. But it could also be, as I think it is for some of the characters 
this is just not a great moment in their lives. And this guy walks through it and they attach and maybe they normally wouldn't and maybe they never will again. But this is where they are. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I know speaking from personal experience, like it took me a while to figure out how to both articulate what I was looking for and then recognize Mm -hmm. when a person who I might be into just literally is not actually what I'm looking for and maybe is fun for a brief period of time, but just can't actually stick around, you know? And I think when you are in that kind of relationship and you're having all of the feelings, Mm. um, you're not recognizing, you know, that how much of the feelings you think are happening between you are really just your own. Mm. And I think that unfortunately, very often people who are slippery, right. To be generous, like, like circus. Um, admiring and disappointing. They, <laughs> the admire, the, yes, the admiring and disappointing. Yeah. I, I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to use that if you don't mind. I love it. Um, that, you know, they, they tell us they, t- I'm not really yeah, looking totally. for X yeah. or I'm only available for this yeah. or you can't I'm even call him a fuck somebody boy. else. <laughs> right. Exactly. Although he has been called a fuckboy <laughs> during this, this this last month of, of interviews. Um, so again, it, it's always interesting to see how people feel about him. There are some who feel like, I hate this guy. I didn't want to read another page. Yes. So I was very happy to get to the next woman to like, I totally get it. I would totally be into a guy like Circus. <laughs> oh my God, I kind of have a crush on him and everything in between. He's complicated mm-hmm. and... And I'm glad. Yeah, that's fun. So you said you have have personal experience with relationships like this. Is Circus based on any one person or is he sort of an amalgamation of of all of the admiring and disappointing men you've encountered over your life? (laughs) Unfortunately, uh, (laughs) that would be a a very full amalgamation with lots of different. But anyway, um, we won't go there. Um, I was involved with a slippery musician Mm. when I had the idea for this book. And I wrote one of the chapters, which at the time I thought was just going to be a short story, as I was kind of trying to work through that involvement. But um, Circus Palmer is nothing. Like they have, he has nothing in common with the, the guy that I was involved with. In part because I find as a writer, even when I'm writing about things that have happened to me, I have to just layer it with fictional elements, mm. right? It, I have to. I think that I, I know that that's not true for all writers. I think there are, are books that we read and basically that writer is just telling us exactly what happened to to them, et cetera. But for me, I need to really have a huge gap between what was real and and otherwise. He was really fun to write. I really do care about him. I love him. But uh, yeah, the guy that uh, triggered the idea would never recognize, except for his own arrogance, perhaps, <laughs> you know, Amazing. would never rec- look at Circus and go, oh, that sounds like me. So you mentioned arrogance. One thing that I found myself wondering, especially given his career trajectory in the book, is whether circus is a good musician i it seems to me the main indicator we have that he is talented is the way women respond to his playing mm-hmm. you know i that was uh um a fun thing for me to decide you know how good is mm. he 
And I think that you're absolutely right that for the women, most of whom don't really have a relationship with jazz till they engage with him, they're swept up in it. Um, To me, it's very erotic. It's very compelling to watch a musician perform. And I think particularly jazz musicians, because what they're doing seems mysterious and inaccessible and, you know, sort of brilliant um, and transcendent in a lot of ways. And so I think even if you don't like the music, if you're watching an attractive jazz musician play, you're going to find yourself being lured. But then Bigger picture, I think that there are are artists who are technically proficient and have enough sort of juice to do something interesting, but they're not necessarily, you know, transcending the form. They're not bringing something new to it. And there's a scene in the book where one of Circus's previous mentors sort of tells him you know, you need to let go when you play. And I don't think he does. I think he holds back. Mm. And so my thought was that he he doesn't necessarily have what it takes. I think he's talented. I think he's good. I think he probably could have gone farther if he was more ambitious in his life and not only in his imagination. Ooh, yeah, that's a good way of putting that. All right, let's take a quick break and then we'll get back to it. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. So why jazz? So... It's the it's the question that I have been asked most of all, and it's very fun to answer because there are so many reasons. One of the reasons is jazz is hard. Mm. It's a really hard genre to play. I'm not a musician myself, but I know enough about music, um, and especially after doing research, to recognize how challenging it is to master that genre. And so I liked the idea that he not only was trying to, but wanted to. What does that mean about him? That he wants to be a jazz musician, that he wants to achieve that level of skill and mastery. Um, And the second reason, in an art form that is not holding a place in the culture that it Mm -hmm. used to, a lot of, in fact, I just saw an ad for insurance and the line was, is it confusing to sign up like jazz? You know, like we live in a, in, a, in a moment or have been living in a moment where jazz is something that, A, a lot of people don't even think anybody's listening to or playing mm-hmm. anymore. Very often when I would tell people that he was a jazz musician, their next question would be, oh, when does it take place? That Yeah, that's my next question for you, actually, because even reading the first chapter where they're like poolside at the hotel. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was contemporaneous, more or less, until there's like a cell phone something was like, oh, because you could totally place it in the 40s or 50s. And it, you know, a lot of it would still track. Absolutely. And, you know, I intentionally put a cell phone in that first chapter Hmm. for that reason. Um, 
because because of the jazz and there are other things like he dress he wears a flat cap right, the way he talks and yeah right and there were um uh, that was I got that from a few musicians that I knew at the time when I was in Boston, there were like a bunch of musicians who were wearing these flat caps. And so, and I kind of liked that, you know, it is kind of a throwback. Um, And so, but too, I think that people think that jazz isn't around anymore. Um, And so I thought it would be an interesting component of his story that he's playing this music that is for a lot of people, I don't think this is true, but for a lot of people, no longer relevant, Mm -hmm. no longer you know, primary in our uh, shared imagination as a culture. Um, so why is he doing it? A lot of characters ask him, why are you playing jazz? Right. And so I thought that would be interesting to, you know, that's his thing that he's sacrificing relationships for, that he's he's putting all of the eggs in the jazz basket. <laughs> and it's not only, you know, hard to succeed as a musician anyway, already, right. but particularly as a musician who, you know, as a jazz musician at a time when jazz doesn't hold the place it used to. Yeah, that is really fascinating. So I think my favorite character in this novel was Circus's teenage daughter, Coco. In the last month of talking to people about the book, everybody is team Coco. She's the favorite. That's so funny. She's great. Well, and I think she also provides a really interesting lens between, you know, as she sort of pieces together what her dad is up to and the sorts of women he's sleeping with when he's, Mm -hmm. you know, which are not, none of which are her mother. Right. Right, I think like watching her kind of get older and piece that stuff together is also a really interesting framing for circus and what he's up to. And I think it's also, you know, one of the pieces that I think is most um, for me engaging about Coco and there is a, a chapter where uh, she and her mother come home and he has brought, Circus has brought another woman to their house because he thought they were on the Cape and not going to be home. And so Coco get, gets a glimpse of that woman and part of her journey. And I think a lot of us, you know, a lot of women, we all went through that to some extent and in some way this is what the culture finds attractive, or this is what the, 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 the men around me find attractive, or this is what I see on television. How do I fit in? Do I try to, not that you're this conscious of it, but do I try to mold myself into that? What can I take from that and bring into myself? Or if I identify, and I think this is part of Coco's challenge, she's a mixed race girl in Boston, where it's very challenging uh, to be a mixed race person. Um, less so nowadays than when I was growing up, but the idea being, okay, I am not that, you know, it, it might sound perverse to suggest that she's trying to understand what is attractive and desirable in women by looking through the lens of her father. But I imagine that that's real, right, in a way. And what I'm really taking her on is here you are at this moment where you're trying to understand this very essential part of who you are and this crisis your father's going through and what it's kickstarting in everybody's lives is going to take you on that journey. And and I hope you're going to get somewhere um, that's good for you. That's what I wanted for Coco. So this is your debut novel and Mm -hmm. you you're in your 
like early 50s, right? I'm 51. Yes. You're 51. So how does it feel? Like, this is amazing. I feel uh, excited for all middle-aged people (laughs) who feel like, I guess it's over. My dreams will never Mm. come true because I was feeling that way. Because you, this, this manuscript was rejected how many, I mean, like dozens of times, right? Yeah. I, I sent out 50 queries to agents before I got my agent. And that doesn't even guarantee publication from there. Exactly. Exactly. That was just the first step in a long line of hurdles. And I really did. I mean, this is my my fifth book, the fifth book that I've written. Mm-hmm. Um, I started trying to get published when I was 25. And of course, those books were not great. But um, this has been my whole adult life, my whole adult life. I've been trying to do this. And um I really did get to the point where I thought it's not going to happen. I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. Um, and I know people who are around my age or heading toward my age who are feeling similar, you know, yeah. fears. Yeah. I mean, basically everything started when I turned 50 and 50 is scary, you know? Um, but it was very nice to at 50 go, Oh, my life is kind of just new starting. You know? Yeah. Yeah, a totally new beginning. I feel like for the first time in my life, when I say I'm a writer, people aren't looking at me with pity (laughs) because I've, you know, um, when I was 25, 30, you know, I think that I might be excited about more superficial aspects of this. Hmm. Oh, I get to talk. You know, I get to talk to these people. I get to go to these events. Ooh, I was featured here. I am really excited about all of that. And I'm really grateful about all of that. But what I'm most excited about, and I'm heading into that moment right now, is I get to come home. I get to wake up and write. Mm. You know what I mean? I get to work on the next thing. And there's a really good chance that it's, I'm not just going to be writing into a black hole again. Yeah. You know, that that they're going to publish it and people will be open to reading it. To me, now I'm just so excited that I feel like I get to keep doing this. Well, Laura, thank you so much for talking with me about this book. I can't wait to read your next one. Yay. I, I can't wait to to share it with you. And this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Laura Worrell as much as I did. I would also love to hear what you think of this book. Is Circus a fuckboy? That's really my main question, but I would be happy to hear any other notions you may have. Of course, all you have to do is read the book, obviously, and then record yourself on your smartphone and email the file to nerdappodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. I'm super excited for you to hear the discussion of this book that will drop in the feed the last Tuesday of November. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman, along with Sam Deer, and our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. We will see you on Friday. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen 
as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.